0: Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports card Insights, here with Rich Klein. We're going to talk about 81 Fleer, maybe even a little bit of the early days of Fleer. Not the earliest days of Fleer, because they were around the decades before that. But Fleer was a gum company, a confectioner company. And 81 Fleer, they jumped in along with Donruss, And it wasn't their best effort, but it got them on the map. In fact, it was elected by some, maybe baseball hobby news, the set of the year. So uh, thanks sponsors, Tops, Panini, and Upper Deck. No FLIR. I think FLIR trademarks are owned by Gradek now, but uh, also Heritage Auctions, Huggins and Scott Auctions, Mike Stanley Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, CompC.com, where you'll find tons of FLIR cards and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication, where they're in the marketplace, they're graded. So FLIR, even though it's defunct as a company, it's out there a lot. And they went through the uh, junk wax era. So Rich, thanks. I'm looking forward to your unique insights about 81 FLIR from back in the day and going forward.
1: Well, you and I are two of a dwindling group of people that actually opened 81 FLIR. I was a senior in college, and I remember opening them and saying, these aren't bad. They were easy to sort because they were done by teams. The photos were actually pretty good considering everything. 82 FLIR, we won't talk about the photos because there are some photos in 82 FLIR that you can't take out. 81 FLIR had really, for the most part, good photos. When we talked about eighty-one Donruss, we said were the errors deliberate or not? And we figured out that probably not, because based of who the players are. Well, eighty-one Fleer is a little more prob- problematic because many of the issues were the superstars. There were also other issues that had nothing to do with superstars. There were fingers on cards, and you had wrong position for somebody like Stan Poppy, and reverse negatives, and things that were just missed. Kurt Bavakwa, I think, has an interesting issue, and. So there are some players in 81 Fleer, just like Donner's. But then there was the numbering issue of people like Reggie Jackson and Mike Schmidt. And I think Amos Otis and Hal McRae. And you don't think of them as superstars, but they were on the Kansas City Royals who lost the 80 World Series. So they were very popular at the time. George Brett. He was a superstar at the time. I think they were trying to put like the special cards, which they later did successfully for many years, at the end of the set, but they somehow the numbering became the same as the regular base card.
0: So they had a type of mistake that may have been overlooked. So I, I don't have to think this was an intentional mistake necessarily, although some have said that may be the case, but there were plenty of errors. So Fleer... And Donruss were heavily compared and contrasted back in the day, is my recollection. And Tops was the standard. It was only Tops until 81. And then Donruss and Fleer comes out. They were the new kids on the block.
1: Well, also the thing was, as we've talked about, 81 Donruss, the collation in the boxes were terrible. You could get 11 Bombo Rivera cards or 14 Tim Raines. Of course, if you got 14 Tim Rains cards, you're saying thank you. But if you're getting 11 Bombo Rivera cards out of a box of 81 Donruss, you're saying, oh, what is this? And then the Tom Needham Führers and the Ken Reeses of the world, and you're getting 10 and 15. In Fleer, if you got any duplicates out of a box, you were shocked. They were really good about collation into boxes. They had, had practice over the years, and they Correctly knew how to get, make their boxes coming close to finishing a
0: set. Okay. I didn't like Donris because the cards stuck together. When you're going through it, 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 it takes extra effort. The Fleer cards seem to slide apart. It's almost like they had a powder or a, or a coating that uh, made it a lot easier to sort through and, and to see what you had, like gum powder, not gun powder, but gum powder. Also, do a front sort of FLIR cards by team. There's a lot to be said about not looking at
1: the back of a card for a number, knowing that you put all the Pittsburgh Pirates together or all the Philadelphia
0: Phillies or all the Kansas City Royals or all the New York Yankees. Once you did that, you'd have essentially pretty close to numerical order. Tops was superstars, divisible by 5, 10, 50, 100 status from that. I'm not sure what Donruss's plan was, but Fleer was numbered, I think alphabetically. Within teams. so one Not the the group, first, I don't think the first year they did well, that. Some of those they, years they did alphabetically. Eventually they started doing alphabetically but within it, teams. But like, it was by the team. If you put all the team together, they'd be 1 to 25 and 26 to 50 or whatever it was. Uh, I, I guess that's an innovation. It didn't do much for me. But do you think collectors really like that?
1: You, you talk about, a lot about friction. There's a lot less friction if I can do a front sort and just go from there. We were building sets in those days. The hits weren't autograph cards or relic cards or parallel cards. The hits were your best players. I'm a big fan of less friction. So I think that was a benefit, especially in, in, the, in the 80s.
0: Okay. And also in 81, in the direct comparison, but the Donruss cards were much thinner. So did Fleer get some bonus points? Topps was not thick card stock, but Topps was a standard. Fleer was similar, and Don was flimsier. I think he also got bonus
1: points for having such a readable set. I would have liked to have seen text on 81 Fleer. I don't know if they had time necessarily with what they were doing to put text on their cards, but it was easy to just look at stats. They had stats on the back. I think 81 Fleer, correctly so, was, the, was voted the best of the three sets, and I think that's a correct decision in 81. Right. And today I'll still say it's uh, those three sets. It's the best.
0: Okay. What do you do with the team stickers and what was Fleer's fixation with team stickers, even though they'd done them for football, standalone, but what's going oh, on think there? I the stickers missed, and
1: 81 yep. Fleer is a separate set because they have the World Series cards on the back, World yeah. Series highlights. The stickers are a separate set too. I think those cards are undervalued in today's market, even though they are not really anything special. You just don't see them. Who would want them when you can have players? But if you're a contrarian, you realize these cards are much tougher. So, and, and there's variations of what the backs or the fronts are. So they're actually cool sets to have.
0: Okay. So I think they're undervalued because they're valued at zero. Yes. <laughs> and they should not be zero value. And some of them have uh, the, is it the World Series trivia? Laughlin, I believe it's the it's Laughlin. Laughlin, kind of. but still not something you're excited about getting. Plus
1: they do the star sticker set of 126 cards that year. Exactly. And, and got what's funny now. is I had a college friend named Steve Stone so I actually took the Steve Stone and I did what you're supposed to do, peeled it off and put it on his door. <laughs>
0: Easy. Fleer, we're mainly talking about the 81 uh, launch, get off the ground set. But now you mentioned the stickers, which I think were a pretty cool set. They probably produced too many of them and they're not in favor. But then 82, do you consider that a step back in that terms was of very production quality? Back. What, oh, what happened like there? That. The only saving grace for 82 was they ended up with a better rookie than 81. They have a Cal Ripken junior rookie. I know that, but I'm just wondering, were they caught unaware? Were they thinking that 81 Flair was going to be a a one shot? We could give them a pass on 81 that they weren't ready. They got the court decision. They rushed the set. But 82, they had a year to prep and it's a step backward in some ways. There's a baseball strike in the middle of 81. So you don't know. So you may have okay.
1: actually stopped some of your okay. planning too. And I think they were caught unaware. I think that on a okay. corporate level, Frankly, I think they got lazy. They had a good 81 set, and they figured we'll do the exact same thing in 82. Both Topps and Donruss took it up a notch in 82, and they really didn't. It took 83, 84, 85. The designs are much better. But 82, I think they took a major step back and realized we got problems. 83 FLIR is a very attractive set. 84 FLIR is a nice-looking set. Then they started really moving upwards 85, 86. By 87, they have the best of the base sets and they've become the most popular in some way.
0: I think 84 Fleer, the only problem it has with the traded update rookie set with that design, the only trouble they had is that they got beat out by 84 Donruss as the key set of 84. But other than that, 84 Fleer is a great set and a a simple, well-executed design, great rookie content, at least in the traded update. 84 Fleer update has Clemens and Gooden and all these guys that – you know, On Puckett,
1: 84 fleur Update has Clemens in Puckett, and 84 Tops traded does not, and Donruss wasn't doing anything. That's yeah. a tougher set because nobody ordered it, because fleur wasn't great. It took about six months, and it really got going. Once they got going, as I said, 84 Fleer Update really catapulted them. And 84 Fleer is a nice set, but it's like, I'll call it the Tim Raines conundrum. He's the second greatest leadoff hitter in the history of baseball. The only problem is he played at the exact same time as the yeah. greatest lead off hitter in the history of baseball. Yeah,
0: I see that. Yeah, I think Fleer was doing a lot of things right. Now, the only problem is that you fast forward when they're out of business. In fact, they sold once somewhere in there.
1: Goes out of business in 2005. So about 25 years
0: after they get their baseball licenses, that's when Fleer goes out of business. But they changed hands. Right. I think Roger Grass. Roger Grass. grass of, uh, in right. In, in the mid 90s, about a 10 year run. I don't really want to get into this too much, except that they had a different philosophy of the business, I think. think Back to 81. But I really
1: enjoyed the 81 set. It was affordable. And it wasn't the 36 packs, even though it says on the box, the box says retailers, you're getting two extra packs of cards. So retailers were making extra money. But you could buy an 81 Fleer box once the Greg Nettles mania settled and they got to normal printing, you could buy an 81 FLIR box for $15 or $12 or $20 or whatever price point you were comfortable at. You knew you were going to get an enjoyable experience
0: opening the box. The original Topps leadership ownership said, we make cards with gum for kids. What it was in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, I think even the 80s. Now, I think it changed in the 90s, as price points crept up and upper deck came in. And Topps was still saying, we're doing cards for kids, when really, I think they weren't. But in 81, when you look at the the Donruss, the Fleer, and the Topps, stickers, adults don't want stickers. They just want the cards. So I think Topps, Fleer, and Donruss in that early 81 period were marketing mainly to kids.
1: One of the things is 81 Fleer has the gum. 82, they have to switch things. Right, right. So 82, I think that's when you start seeing the stickers because that's what they have to do.
0: Was the gum, in the original lawsuit, they were allowed to produce car? But then was there a further settlement that said no? There was a further settlement after 81 that says
1: they they can produce cars, they just can't produce it with gum. So that's where the dichotomy comes in. I actually always liked the Donner's gum best of the three companies. 40 years later, but in 81, 82, I enjoyed chewing the Donner's gum. That's 40 years ago.
0: Is one drier than another because what other was Yeah, sugar, actually the, the, Donner's, the Donner's gum had more, we'll call it wetness. It was bendable. Yeah. Whereas where Tops was crackable. Yeah. <laughs> Not crack in the in the in the now sense, but uh, But 81 Fleer is
1: also interesting because as we pointed out some of the superstars and we talked about the fingers But there's some of these really weird variations, little fingers on the backs of some of the cards. And there was Stan Poppy has a position change. That's not a deliberate error when Stan Poppy has a position
0: change. Who's doing that kind of stuff? Who's demanding? You're rushing through the set. You missed them. Very
1: few people in going double speed get everything because you just say, okay, it looks good. Okay, thanks.
0: If you're not proofreading, you missed it. From the stamp collecting, error cards were a bigger deal back in the day even if it was a, a common player. And
1: plus error cards were huge. The theme
0: was just AMV beginning was to really begin in 81 again.
1: Because we had the 79 Tops bump wills that really drew interest back to variations. We've gone a long time for Tops for all their things. They really weren't a lot of variations on Tops cards. There were very few in the 60s and 70s, especially after the green tint thing in 62, where you have basically the second series done twice you would have an occasional Mike McCormick in 67 and Bob Pretty, And there are four guys, including Euchre in 66 with no trade notations and white letter, yellow letter and two cards in 68, 69 white letters. Yeah, that's a big one, but it's not a common occurrence to have errors and variations and tops for those 25 years, more than maybe it should have been, but less than you think if if they were really hyping it. And in the seventies, there's almost none. The Washington National Leaguers, but that I don't even consider that top's fault. And then Bump in 79. There's not a
0: lot of things going. How about a shout out to Ralph Nozaki, one of the original error and variation guys, even before you, before me too, who was a, a resource. Because this predates the monthly magazines when I was doing the annual books. And that was tough running down all those variations. And if there's two versions, which one is tougher? And if a dealer bought early cases or late cases... They didn't know whatever they had, they thought was the card. But uh, then later you'd find out, no, you got the early cases and that was much tougher.
1: Nizaki is still around today.
0: Yeah, He's still in the
1: Chicago area. In fact, he's the music director for Me TV Music, which you can actually hear from any, you know, internet radio station. Ralph, he was a smooth jazz disc jockey in, in Chicago for 30 years Probably before is- that format came. Ralph's doing quite, Ralph has done quite well. And if you ever go to his website, he shows... You know, I forgot if it's under Rick Odell or Ralph, but he shows photos of him in both worlds. I don't think I ever met him. He was very quiet. But the reason was he was a known disc jockey, too. So if he went around Chicago, he apparently went around just like you like to go around very quietly. Yeah. He liked to go around very quietly.
0: Thanks, Ralph. <laughs> and thanks, Rich, too, because you moved the ball close to the goal line as well and trying to get that stuff published and available to people that when there was interest. Now there's not that much interest. You'd
1: be surprised on a Comcy database how much interest there is. Oh, there was a couple variations. There's a 72-Tops Hall of Famer variation, and there's some variations somebody found on 90-91 FLIR All-Star cards with the number of stars in front. I enjoy my job going <laughs> through and separating stuff like that.
0: Well, keep up the good work, Rich, and anybody that collects 81 FLIR is okay. That was a landmark set. So thanks, Rich. Thanks, listeners. Be back again tomorrow with another episode.